Welcome to the Gingsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a sec and download the Gingsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Gingsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step with your journey with Jesus. How's everyone doing? Good morning. Thanks for coming out and being part of this service and welcome to those worshiping online. For those who do not know me, my name is Pastor Dennis and we are in week number 2 of our current teaching series, The Games People Play, where we are taking popular board games from the past and present and we're using them as a metaphor to look at our relationship with Jesus and with other people. Today's feature game is the game Operation by Milton Bradley. How many people remember playing this game or you currently like playing this game? Yes. The game features Sam, the patient, lying on a red operating table with 12 body cavities exposed. Surely countless medical careers have been established because of this game. Players would take a little set of tweezers and perform sensitive operations like removing butterflies in the stomach or a broken heart one had to be very careful playing the game of operation in matthew chapter 7 jesus compares a minor operation to taking a piece of sawdust out of a person's eye And although he uses a little bit of humor, how can you remove the speck out of a person's eye when you have a big 2x4 hanging out of your own eye? <laughs> he is deadly serious. Probably no other command by Jesus has been misunderstood or misrepresented than the command from Jesus In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7 verse 1, judge not or you will be judged. It seems like any time a Jesus follower takes a stand on a moral issue, someone will say, "Now wait a minute. We are not to judge. Didn't Jesus teach to love everyone? Didn't Jesus teach Judge not lest you be judged. How are we to understand this part of the sermon on the mount? Well, what we need to catch here, friends, is that Jesus in giving this command was not talking about spiritual discernment. In fact, Jesus often had words to say on critical issues as we see all throughout the new testament jesus himself made moral stances and yet jesus was the incarnation of love jesus was not preaching against himself he was the truth he was the word made flesh and and jesus made some hard statements In fact, he called Herod a dangerous fox. 
He called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. He cleansed the temple of the greed of the merchants. And even though that we are told that we individually do not sit in the seat of judgment on the eternal throne of God, we are to be fruit inspectors. He, he said, by their fruits, you shall know them. In other parts of the Bible, we're called the spiritual discernment. We're told in the Bible, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing. Rebuke your brother or sister who sins. Now, here's the question. How are you going to do that if you don't practice spiritual discernment? Jesus was not talking about constructive criticism either. Constructive criticism at times can be helpful. For example, I'm glad that over the years, people have been critical of the automobile industry. From different critiques, we have results. We have now cars with seat belts. There was a time without seat belts of headrest, of um, child safety seats, right? And airbags. And the automobile industry is much safer today, 60 years after the fact, because someone has been critical of these things. Now, often I get discouraged personally by the press, but I'm grateful <laughs> that we have the First Amendment, and I'm grateful that we have the freedom of the press, because there are times that we critique the government, and I'm glad that we live in a nation in which we can do that. So Jesus was not talking about constructive criticism. What was Jesus talking about? Here's the key. Jesus didn't say, now I want you to listen to this because it's not often preached in many churches today. Jesus didn't say, you hypocrite, you remove the speck of sawdust out of your brother and sister's eye and then don't do anything. He didn't say that. More importantly, he didn't say, now you remove the two by four out of your own eye and leave your brother and sister alone because you're not the judge. No, he said, go ahead and remove the two by four out of your own eye so you can perform the sensitive surgery, the operation of removing the speck in your brother's eye. What Jesus was prohibiting here is the sin of hyper-criticism. That's the habit of searching for the wrong, putting the worst motive on a person putting the worst twist on their thoughts and looking for the bad instead of lifting up the good. I think Jesus was speaking about the husband who's always picking at his partner. She could be perhaps a loving, kind, generous, wonderful person, could be a wonderful mother, could be a dear friend, and yet this individual continues to pick, pick, pick at perhaps um, weight gain or something else. 
I think Jesus was talking about the single person who demands such perfection in everyone around them that they don't have any friends because they have an unrealistic standard. I think Jesus was speaking about the church person who comes every Sunday morning is always finding a problem in the worship service. And they never really worship because they're so overwhelmed with the grammatical error of the pastor, which happens often, or perhaps the volume of the music in the room, or perhaps the grammatical error on the screen, or maybe what someone's worshiping like around them, or what someone's wearing on the stage. And they never really worship because they're being critical. I think that's what Jesus is talking about. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, was preaching one day, and he was wearing this bow tie with streamers. After the service, a critical-thinking woman came up to him and said, Brother Wesley, may I have a word with you? Your tie is completely too long. It's a form of worldliness. I like to cut it off. And so... He said to the crowd, does anybody have a pair of scissors here? And someone produced a pair of scissors. He handed it to the scissors and said, go ahead, cut it off. And with glee, she cut the big streamers off. And then he said, are you finished? She said, yes. He said, well, may I have those scissors back? Ma'am, I've got a question for you. Would you stick out your tongue? <laughs> it's a sign of worldliness to me. I like to cut it off. Now, we got to be careful about our tongue sometimes, don't we? I know that I do. Because sometimes it gets too long. There are times that we hurt people with our tongue. Why was Jesus so stern about hypercriticism? The answer is because it's harmful for the person who is being criticized. Reputations are ruined because of criticism. Leaders are discouraged because of criticism. Businesses are destroyed because of criticism. Look with me in the Bible to Galatians chapter 5 verse 14. Let's look together. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then look at the next verse here. He says this. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Because if you keep picking on one another, you're going to end up destroying each other. And not only will it destroy your neighbor and yourself, but it will ruin your witness because people will start just tuning you out. You know, if you're always criticizing, you can get a crowd. You can get a following. It works. People make money. Some people's whole life, perhaps they're a radio show person or Maybe they're an author or a community leader and their whole life is to destroy other people. People win elections this way. You know, I could go to the extreme right and get more people in the seats. I can go to the extreme left and demonize those on the right and I can get more people. I can get a following. But I lose my witness for Jesus in doing it. I go against the command to truly love one another. And after a while, people just stop listening. They don't want to hear it anymore. We are to be salt and light to the world. We are to shine, but not on ourselves and all the problems in the world. 
I pray that I could shine Jesus' light so much that all those problems in the world will not be seen because Jesus shines for all to see. And so let me give you some take-homes. How do we control criticism? Let me give you four take-homes today. And this is an area that God's working on me and I pray on you and our church. Practical steps to control criticism. First of all, we need to acknowledge the wickedness of it and repent. We often rationalize and we'll say something like, well, you don't understand, Pastor, I'm just a perfectionist. Well, it's one thing to say you're a perfectionist about yourself. I could say some stuff about that, but I won't. It's another thing to be a perfectionist on everyone else and think that you are somehow the moral police of the world. You say, well, you don't understand, I have the spiritual gift of criticism. <laughs> well, let me just say that. That's not in the Bible. That's not one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit listed are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In that list in the New Testament, it's not the word criticism. What is criticism? The habit of criticism, of hypercriticism. It's a sin. And we need to name it for what it is. And we need to repent of it. It's not one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's a sinful habit. Jesus didn't excuse it. And we shouldn't even. Often, what's behind it is something else. Often, what's behind it is envy. Irma Bombeck prayed once, Lord, if you can't make me thin, make my enemies fat. So how do we control criticism? We need to repent. And what that means is we're going one way, we need to turn around, and we need to go the opposite direction. We need, instead of criticizing all the time, we need to encourage one another. The word encourage comes from two words, instilling courage. We need to build each other up. We need to support one another. If someone's doing something that, that you see is, is not really right, well, encourage them in the Lord and bless them. Want the best for them. It's so easy to always just offer a word that's negative. I, I remember at a former church I was pastoring years ago, we had a woman who felt like she was appointed by the board to be the critic of the church. I don't know where she felt she got that job, but that's what she felt she had because she would send me these emails on a pretty regular basis, said, Pastor, I've got a word of criticism this week. Now, no, I can accept that for a while. I, I'm usually not a person that likes confrontations. And so sometimes they're helpful as well if it's constructive criticism. And, but this became a habit. Like, I've got a word of criticism about the service or about the message or about this person on the worship team or whatever. And she was kind of a, what the Bible says, I'll use the Bible term, a church busybody. That's actually in there. And so I, I said, Georgia, that wasn't her name, but I'll call her that for this message. Georgia, I need you. I'm your pastor. I'm concerned about your spiritual life. See, I've learned never get outflanked by the right. <laughs> That'll sink in. Never get outflanked by the right. I said, I want you to come in. I'm concerned about some things. And I want to hear your 
criticism that you have. So she came in all loaded up. I was practicing Matthew 18 here. And I said, I hear you, but we're here to encourage one another. And the scripture says in Ephesians, let no unwholesome talk come of your mouth, only what can edify. I said, so what I need to hear from you as you bring these criticisms, every time you bring, I need for every one criticism, I need you to bring three positives. If it's about a message, okay, I'll receive it, but I want you to tell me three ways this blessed you. What spoke to you? How the Holy Spirit used this word this day? And be an encouragement to, you know what happened? She stopped criticizing. Now, she didn't bring too many positives, but she stopped. Because there comes a point when we got to turn around and we got to offer hope. Look with me. To Paul's instructions in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Would you read this with me so I don't feel all alone on this stage today? Whatever's true, read with me. Whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's… If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. That's what we're to do. We need to acknowledge the wickedness of it and repent. Number two, before you criticize someone… Put yourself in their place and pray for them. The prophet Ezekiel once said, I sat where they sat. Put yourself in their place. We don't always know what has shaped other people's actions to the point. We always have limited knowledge of what our neighbor is experiencing, their worldview, their culture, their upbringing. We don't know the whole story. So just be gracious. We've not sat where they've sat. Pray for them. Encourage them. Even, let me say something very practical here. We think that we know the people around us. We do know them, but not fully. Rachel and I have been married 30 years this summer, and we're still getting to know one another. She knows me pretty well, better than anyone else, and I know her pretty well, better than anyone else, but we're still discovering one another. When, when you're on Facebook with someone, you need to know that you are reading and seeing what that person wants to share, but you don't know their full life. Use myself as an example. I post a lot, probably too much, according to Rachel. But if you're a friend of mine, and I like to be, you need to know that you know about me from Facebook what I want to share. And if you follow me, you know that I love my wife. I love to post pictures of us. I love motorcycles. I love to travel. And I love to tell stories. But that's not my whole life. That's not my whole ministry. That's not my struggles. And the same is true with the people you think you know around you or the community in which you live. And all I'm saying is, why don't we pray for one another? Because it's hard to be critical for someone when you're praying for their success. Amen? Do you know why that Jesus was so quickly to restore Peter after he had fallen? Because he was praying for him, the Bible says. Because he was wanting his best. Ezekiel says, I sat where they sat. 
Number three, if you have to confront someone, rather than criticize the person behind their back, go to them and confront them in love. First of all, just between the two of you. This is scriptural. Matthew chapter 18, 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And often what you'll discover is, if you get on the same page, that there's a mutual understanding, or at least you'll leave as friends. Now, if you don't get anywhere and you feel you need to press it on, Jesus also instructs for two or three, or maybe even if it's a church matter, take it before the leaders of the church. But if you're going to do that, first examine yourself. Do you just want revenge? Or do you want to make peace? Someone once said to John Wesley, well, I never forgive a person who sinned against me. And Wesley said, well, I hope you never sin then. <laughs> because when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Lord, forgive us of our trespasses, our sins, as we forgive those who trespassed against us. If we want mercy before God, which we do, then we need to be merciful to other people. And finally this, number four, be flexible. Keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the big picture. Do you know the people that I've discovered that have the hardest time with the game operation? In general, it's older people. Because when you get older, your eyesight fails often. You maybe get a little tremor in your hands, get a little shaky, and it's hard to play the game. And you know, in, at least in my experience, the people who have the hardest time with criticism, at least in the church, it's people who've been around for a long time, older people in the church, and I'm one of those now. And you know why that is? Because we have so much to compare it all to. Meaning if you're brand new to the faith, if you're brand new, let's say to Gingsburg, you're seeing God move, you're seeing people come to Christ, you're seeing praise and worship today, and you say, wow, isn't this great? Isn't God doing a thing right now? But if you've been around here for a long time, you know the great story of this church, you know the way that God's moved in the past, you've seen hundreds and the thousands of people coming to Christ, you see crowds today versus crowds in the past, and it's easy to be critical because you're living in a memory instead of what God is doing today. But you know the most uh, attractive people to me in the life of the church today are older people who as they grow in the faith they become more mature and more flexible and more gracious and more understanding and attuned with the spirit and they just want to see what God's doing in the moment and more forgiving and compassionate and I want to encourage you to be that kind of a person just keep the main focus. Just keep the main thing the main thing. Let me tell you a story before we go home. 
So about 30 years ago, my wife was in college. She was part of a great church in Lexington, Kentucky. The pastor there was named Wayne Smith. I've mentioned him before. And he tells the time, he told her about that time that he went out to visit a church in Las Vegas named Central Christian Church that in the early 1990s grew from around 325 in worship to about 2,500. So really about the same kind of growth that Gingsburg had in the early 90s from about two to 300 to two or 3,000. It was exciting and they had done a lot through contemporary methods. Remember, if, you can, if you're old enough to remember, these were the days of the worship wars when people were fussing and fighting over whether we should sing hymns in the church or contemporary choruses. And this church had made a transition like our church did to more modern forms of worship and they were using a lot of contemporary methods and they had changed their music. So Pastor Wayne went out there and he was meeting with the leaders and at one of the worship services he was standing in the back with an elderly statesman, a lay leader of the church who was well-respected. He was actually a former president of UNLV. And they were talking about the church. And as they were talking, a third person came up. He was a negative-thinking person. And he said, not knowing Pastor Wayne, he talked to the statesman. He said, I want to know what you think about all this rock music we have now. And said it in a nasty tone. Very critical. And the statesman said very bluntly, I don't like it. Don't like it at all. But then he pointed to the students and to the college young people and to the young moms and dads all gathering, packed in by the hundreds, raising their hands and worshiping in spirit and truth. And he said, but I sure do like them. And that's why we're here. My friends, that's keeping the main thing the main thing. That's being flexible. That's seeing the big picture. And that's focusing on why we're here, worshiping in spirit and truth. This whole message on operation can be summed up in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. When Jesus said, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Well, that's the golden rule, isn't it? To do unto others the way that we would want them to do unto us. And that's what Jesus did. Amen? He saw us in our faults. He saw us in our sins. He had every right to be critical. But instead of being critical and condemning us, he went to the cross for us and gave his very life. He saw us in our needs and he gave his life on our behalf. If you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, if you've never known that love, if you've never known there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, you can today by surrendering your heart to Jesus and Jesus will do surgery. He'll do an operation and give you a new heart and life. 
Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have given us your love freely when we didn't deserve it. I thank you, Lord, that we are in this together and sometimes you call us to do sensitive surgery. You call us to do a sensitive operation, but we do it with grace. We do it with love. We do it together to build up and to not tear down, to iron sharpens iron on one another, that your spirit can fully mold us into the image of the Son. In Jesus we pray, and all God's people said, amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you would like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Gingosburg app or online at gingosburg.org.